you to look at the account of Joseph will be in Genesis chapter 39 this morning Genesis 39 and we'll look just a little bit in chapter 40 as well Uh, if you were with us last week you know a little bit of the context of what we're looking at here if not let me help set it up for you just a little bit we're looking again at the the story of of Joseph's life of the work that God did in him of the things that took place Sometimes he could see what God was doing. Sometimes he had no idea. And it might sound a lot like you for some of us that are here this morning. Last week our text began pretty early with Joseph having a dream. And then pretty quickly turned into what seemed like a nightmare. And so Joseph at this point, after having a prophecy from God and a dream that one day his family was going to come and bow down before him, that he would be in a prominent position, was then uh, struck by the jealousy and hatred of his brothers. And so where we're picking up today is Joseph there as he's been sold into slavery in Egypt in a foreign country, and we're going to pick up there to see kind of what takes place. Let me give you this, just go ahead and stick in your mind. I think you'll hear it plenty of times. I just... I want you to go ahead and know what you're listening for today. Last week, we really highlighted this idea that that even in the difficult things in our life, that God is working out all things for good. It's the promise that we see in Scripture. It's the promise that we see in Joseph's life. Last week, we just kind of fast-forwarded to the end where he says as much in Genesis chapter 50. Today, though, we're not, I want us to also remember that it's not just that, hey, at the end we will be able to appreciate how God has used all of these things. I also want us to be reminded that even in the middle of those things, God is with us, right? It's not that he's just waiting there at the end for us. He's walking through the difficulties with us, and we see that so clearly in today's text. So look with me in Genesis 39, beginning in verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had the Lord blessed the Egyptians house for Joseph's sake blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field before we consider this together let's pray and ask the Lord to help open our minds this morning Father God I am thankful For the recognition that what we're reading here is your word. Father, that that we were not there when these things took place, but you were, because you were in all places at all times. And Father, you've given us this perfectly accurate account of exactly what happened so that we can trust, Lord. We can trust that what we're reading is what you want us to hear. Father, I pray that not only do we read and hear your word, but that you also help our hearts and minds to understand it, Lord, to grasp what it means, Lord, that it would, it would change our hearts to love you and to trust you more, which would change our minds and would change our actions. And because of what we see and hear in your word today, that we'd be more faithful to follow you. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so here we see that, that things in Egypt aren't all good and they're not all bad either, right? So Joseph is the really one of the head servants, head slaves in Potiphar's household, which when you're one of the household slaves who's working in the house, who's attend, attending the master, who's over a lot of the things, that's a pretty good deal. It's, it's not as bad as a lot of other jobs. So it's not all bad, but we also have to remember that it's not painting this great, perfect picture because he's still a slave in another man's house in a foreign country away from his family, taken there by force, right? So it's not all good, and it's not all bad. But we're reminded here, I think very clearly in verses 3 and 4, how it is that the good came about, right? We've already seen how did the bad come about, right? How, what bad happened that got him there? Well, it's the hatred of the brothers. It's the jealousy of the brothers. It's, right, it's these evil, sinful acts have led to this bad. So what is it that's leading to the good? Well, verse 3 just said, His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands, so Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, right? The reason that Joseph is in the house attending Potiphar with the better job and things are going pretty well is all attributed to the Lord, right? It's pretty easy to say, well, Joseph probably got to be in the house because he's a smart dude. Joseph probably got to be in the house because he is a hard worker. And I trust that he was doing those things. But at the end of the day, this is what Scripture says. Joseph got to be in the good place because God helped promote him to the good place, right? God is the one that's with him, that's working with him, that's working in his life, that's so evident that even Potiphar, who we would have to assume doesn't know Yahweh, who doesn't know Joseph's God, even he can tell that God is with Joseph, right? That's how clear God's presence and working in Joseph's life is here. So what are we supposed to be seeing from this? I think point one this morning is that God went with Joseph to Egypt. God went with Joseph to Egypt, right? This is a theme that you see in Scripture multiple times in multiple places, uh, Old Testament and New Testament, but it's this, it's this idea of exile, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time developing it. But exile is this idea of being somewhere that's not where you want to be, right? You've been taken away from home. Right, So they've taken uh, the northern kingdom at one point goes into exile with the Assyrians. And the southern kingdom goes into exile in Babylon. And the New Testament says, we are in exile while we live here on this earth. Right, This is not home. This is not our permanent address. That's with God. And so we're not there. We are in exile. But the truth that we see in Scripture is that when people find themselves in exile, when they find themselves away from home, where they're in a tough spot and their stress level is probably really high, and there's a lot of worry and concern, that they're never in that place alone. Right? You look at Daniel and those that, that remained faithful with him in Babylon, and it looks a lot like what we see here with Joseph. It's God's presence going with his people wherever they go. Now, I'm not telling you this morning that God's going to get us all promoted. Right? That's not what I'm saying. God got Joseph promoted. I'm not saying God's going to get us all promotions and everything's going to be well in the way that we want to. But what I am telling you is this. God's never going to leave us alone. That's what I'm telling you. He may not always do exactly what you want him to, 
But even in those tough times, even in those difficult times that you're enduring, God is with you, and He will always be with you. And I pray this. I pray that that's not just a fact, because as a fact, I think we can all agree, okay, yeah, God is literally everywhere, at all places, at all times. So, of course, yes, God is with me. Know that fact. But I don't want it to be a fact in our mind. I want it to be a truth in our heart that brings you comfort in really difficult times. Give you an analogy for this. One, this has happened multiple times. So living in the parsonage across the street from the church building, uh, it's every now and then something happens, wind, animal, something, and it makes the alarm go off at the church. And inevitably, that almost always happens in the middle of the night. I'm not sure why it's that way, but the alarm never goes off at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So the alarm one night goes off, and I kid you not, it was actually late, it was actually dark, and it was a stormy night. I know, it sounds like I'm making it up. And so the alarm's going off, and, and if I'm going to come over here to check it, I'm never coming by myself. And usually I call law enforcement as uh, Brother Jack, who's not here this morning, has always advised me to do. But on this specific occasion, I said, I'm not calling law enforcement because they usually get really, like, they're just perturbed that I called them because they know that it's a false alarm and it bothers them that they had to drive all the way to Mount Zion. So that night I said, I'm just going to call somebody close by. I'm going to call Bob. Uh, I'm call Bob, see if he'll come. So, so Bob does. He comes over. He picks me up at the house, and we come over here, and we go through the building. And long story short, that right, it was a false alarm. There's no threat. Nobody's here. Everything's in its place. Everything's okay. So why are you telling us this? Why? This is what, I, what I really want you to understand from this is that, that although there was still some concern because something set the alarm off, right? I mean, I didn't know what it was. Something set it off. And so there's, there's some concern that maybe there is a threat in this building somewhere. Maybe. And just because Bob came with me didn't make all that go away. Right? If the threat was here, the threat was still here. Right? The, the concern that we've got to check every room and make sure everything is in place. All of that was still true. and it was still, But what made it much easier was the fact that I didn't do that alone. Right? I had somebody walking beside me, going through the building, doing those things, who was here with me. And that's what I want you to see here about Job. I'm not saying, hey, everything's great. It's all sunshine and rainbows. When God's with you, there are difficult times that will come. Joseph is still a slave in another man's house in a foreign country away from his dad who thinks he's dead. But even while he was there, what made it easier to endure was the fact that he wasn't doing it alone. Right? Bob wasn't with him, but God was with him. And in Matthew 28, we know the Great Commission. I pray that you don't ever miss this part at the end whenever... Jesus tells his disciples that he will be with them always. That he will be with them always, even to the end of the age. Right? And I believe that that promise goes for us as well. That he is with us and he will be with us always, no matter where we find ourselves. So things seem to be, all right, this isn't as bad as I thought it might be, right? Whenever you hear he's in the pit and they sell him, he's going to Egypt, it may be bad. You read this, you say, it's not really that bad. Let's see what happens next. Look in uh, verse 6. We're going to pick up in the second half of verse 6. It says, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. 
But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that, I lifted up my voice and cried out. He left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Now here I want to highlight something that I told you last week that we would talk about in this story. And it is the presence of evil. And I believe the presence and work of the evil one. We heard from Brother Wayne Kimbrough a message just a few weeks ago reminding us that that Satan is real and he is really the enemy of God's people. Right? And I believe that's what we see here, that him working through Potiphar's wife to tempt Joseph to do something that he should not do. Not just once, but over and over, incessantly asking him this. But what does he do? He remains faithful and true, and not just because he likes his position. Not just because... He, Potiphar would want him to. No, the second part of verse 9 says this, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And this is just a sub-point, so I really don't want to spend much time here. We're, we're going to talk about this Wednesday night. This is going to be kind of the, the theme of the teaching for Wednesday night. But what I do think it's worth mentioning, that Joseph stays faithful to God even in the midst of these difficulties, right? We're seeing the main part here is that God remains faithful to Joseph. But I also want you to see that Joseph remained faithful to God. And sometimes that's difficult, right? In these circumstances, when life is hard and when we feel like we have kind of uh, didn't get the roll of the dice that we should get or people aren't doing the things that they should for us or God has forgotten, I, I think there's a, a stronger temptation for us to sin. And for us to just give in and do whatever and just say, we don't care. But Joseph didn't do that. Even in the midst of these difficult circumstances, he remained faithful. And I think that's worth highlighting and reminding us that just because hard times come does not give us a license to sin. Ever. And it won't. But then we see here as well that, man... Joseph, this guy, he's doing the right thing. He's doing what he's supposed to do. And what happens? He's wrongfully accused. And you know what him being wrongfully accused leads to? Leads to prison. Joseph, if you read further in the chapter, he ends up, whenever she makes these accusations against him, he ends up getting put in prison. And he said, man, this guy just can't catch a break. And say, so, well, what happens when he's in prison? Well, look with me in verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, 
the Lord made it succeed. You're starting to see a pattern here, right? It's in Potiphar's house, and God's with him. And God shows him favor. God allows things to go well for him. And then he's wrongfully accused, and he's put in prison, and you go to prison, you say, what happens when he's in prison? And verse 21 just starts, but the Lord was with Joseph. He was with him. And then things go well because God shows him steadfast love. This hesed, right? We've talked about that. Word. This covenant love that God has for his people that never stops and never ends, no matter what they're going through, no matter where they are. And so here's, in this pattern, I pray that you see this. Point two, God was with Joseph in every pit. If you, if you read on through chapter 40 where he's in prison, he has a chance he's talking to one of the other prisoners and trying to, praying that he'll be able to get out because of it. And verse 15 says, For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I've done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Right? And I think that is reminiscent of the pit that his brothers put him into. That end up leading to him here. And now while he's here, he's put into a pit. And he, he endured some really, really difficult times. Right? And this stint in prison, although again, not the worst. Because God is with him and God shows him favor. But he spends years. With an S. Years in prison. For something he did not do. And we can read the entire story and see God's faithfulness. And understand what he's doing here. But man, from Joseph's perspective, this had to have been really hard. And I think it's one of the reasons that you and I can identify with Joseph's story so clearly. Because the longer we live our life, the more pits seem to come. Right? There, there are more things that we go through and there are more things that we endure and sometimes they're harder than others. But the truth is, they are coming and they will continue to come. That's a promise that we see in Scripture. Is that difficulties will come. So, how do we deal with that? Do we just think about what we talked about last week? It's okay, I can deal with these difficulties. Because one day down the road, I will be able to see how God is using this. And that is true. Whatever you're doing, no matter how difficult it is, God is using it in some way that is for your good. And I know there are those times where there's no way this is for good. The promise of Scripture is that it is. It will be. And one day you will appreciate that. And we need to keep that in mind. But there's also days that seem so overwhelming. There's that feeling, some of you have done this whenever you're, you're playing right there in, at the beach, right where the surf crashes, and so you're kind of riding the waves. But every now and then that one comes, and it hits just right, and it rolls you, and it continues to roll you. You ever felt that? And you're trying to get up, and you can't get up, and there's probably this moment of panic that says, I'm going to die right here. I'm not going to get out of this. And sometimes there are days that feel like that. Sometimes there are days in life that seem so overwhelming that we just say, I can't wait. I can't wait until the end and appreciate this because I'm not going to make it through this. This is the end. Imagine Joseph probably had some days like that. But this is what I pray that today's text reminds you. 
even on that day, God's with you. He's not saying, wait until the end and I'll be there. No, he's saying, wherever you are, I'm there. I'm with you because I care about you. The hurt that you hurt hurts me. The concern that you have is noted. I understand it. I have a plan. I'm with you. I'm going to continue to be gracious to you every single day. God was with Joseph everywhere he went. God was with him in the promised land, in Potiphar's house, in the prison, in the pretty places, and in the pits. Every single one of those, God was with him. And I pray this morning that you are reminded by God's word that that's not just true for Joseph. It's true for you. On your best days, God is with you. And on the worst, God is still with you. It does not change because he sees you and he hears you and he loves you. The gospel tells us that. The gospel tells us that that's how deeply he loves us. But on those days when it feels like you're in that wave and you're being rolled and you say, I know the Bible says God's here, but I can't see him. I know the Bible says he's near me. And I know the pastor prayed that I would feel God's presence, but I don't feel it. Just going to be honest. I don't see it and I don't feel it. What I do on those days, I hope you stop and pray and say, God, I can't see you. And God, right now, I cannot feel you. But I need to know that you're here. I need to know that I'm not alone. And as I typed those words this week, I could not help but think of, of a story. It's the story of Elisha and his servant. Some of you know the story. It's from 2 Kings 6. You don't have to turn there, but just real quick, let me give you the rundown. Some of you are looking at your watch. I'm telling you it's worth it. Listen to this. So, so Elisha and his servant have really made the king of Syria mad. And at this point, the king of Syria says, I've got to get rid of this Elijah cat. He's the only one causing me all this trouble. I've got to get rid of him. So he sends an army. It's the word that's used. He sends an army to get this one man, this prophet of God, to go and get Elisha. And so in the morning... For whatever reason, reason, Elisha's servant gets up and he walks outside. And you know, like you walk outside and you clear your eyes and you look. And there's an army surrounding the city that they're in. Right? Completely unexpected. This is how it says it. 2 Kings 6. It says, When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army was, with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said... Alas, my master, what shall we do? And this is what Elisha says to him. He said, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And I just, I could picture this in my mind. The servant says, what are you talking about? There ain't nobody with us, Elisha. It's you and it's me and that's an army. I know you're spiritual but right now, I need practical. Right? We get there sometimes. I, I know the preacher said, God's with me no matter what I go through. But right now, I need something a little bit more tangible that I can hold on to than that. Because if not, I'm just going to die right here because I can't handle much more of this. Elisha's, the, the servant thinks Elisha's nuts. Some of you think I'm nuts. But I tell you this, brothers and sisters. The eyes of faith.
can always see God's presence, even wherever the eyes in our head cannot. Listen to this. This is what Elisha does. The very next verse, 2 Kings six seventeen. Then Elisha prayed and said, O oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And all of a sudden, he could see. Those who were with us are greater than those that are against us. Point three. When our eyes can't see God, faith can. Brothers and sisters, on the days that you say, I know that the Bible promises that God's near, but I can't feel it. And I can't see you. Pray and ask God to reveal himself to you. I believe he will. I believe he'll honor that. Not that he's going to show up in the same physical presence way that you'll see him standing beside you, but I trust that he will make known to you that his presence is there. And I'm not trying to sell you some snake oil this morning. Let's be clear. I'm not a prosperity gospel preacher. This is not what I'm preaching to you. You trust God and everything will be good. Your life will just be pleasant and joyful. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying what Jesus says in John 15. You trust God and you'll be hated. You follow Jesus and he says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. And if you're following me, they're going to hate you because they hate me. That's what I'm telling you. There will be difficult times. It is guaranteed. But I'm also telling you this. No matter where you go, no matter what you endure, he will be beside you. He will sustain you in every way that you need him to. He will never leave us or forsake us. Promise of Scripture. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. Promise of Scripture. He carries us when we are weak. It's a promise of Scripture. He will be with us always, even to the end of the age. It's a promise of Scripture. And those aren't the only ones. That's just a few. I pray that the gospel reminds you of this. That God cares about your hurt and your worry and your striving so much that He left heaven and came to earth to fix the things that we have broken. To live the perfect life. To die the perfect atoning death. To, to take the punishment that we deserve to die in our place. And in doing that, one of the things that happened is that he's limiting our suffering. Our suffering will not endure forever because of what Christ did. It will only be for the time that we are on this earth because through faith in Jesus Christ, he has now made it available that we will be with him in a place where pain and hurt and worry and sin cannot go. They're not allowed there. Their feet will never tread on the place that will be with him forever. He defeated sin and he defeated death and he defeated all evil and he's made it available to us to be able to be in that place with him. The gospel tells us that God cares about us too much to leave us alone in the middle of our hurt. Here's the last thing I have for you. And it probably seemed like one of the strangest things I've had for you all day. And that's a pretty long list. I want you to know this. I think sometimes we think of God like a dog owner too much. You say, yeah, you're right. That is pretty weird. 
Y'all ever seen this? Sometimes it's a dog, sometimes it's a turtle, sometimes it's a hamster, whatever. Y'all seen these deals where they set up a little race course and, and the owner takes their dog or turtle or whatever and they put them at the start line and they say, you stay right here and I'm going to go down here to this end with a treat. And you run that race and when you get here, it'll be tough, but you run that race and when you get here, I'll be at the end and I'll give you the treat and make everything worth it. Sometimes I think we think of God as that way. God says, look, I'm putting you here on earth, giving you the gospel, I'm going to go to heaven. I'll be there when you get to the end. Run the race, jump through the hoops, go over the obstacles, do what you're supposed to do, and I'll be waiting at the end, and then it'll all be worth it. Sometimes we th- I think we think of God that way too much. God's not like a pet owner waiting at the finish line, brothers and sisters. He's more like the dad or mom, either one, who's, who's teaching their kid to swim. They don't stand down at one end of the pool and throw the kid in and say, if you make it down here, I'll be here to help you out. No, they walk next to them. And they coach them. And they encourage them. And they say, kick, kick your legs now. Move your arms. Make sure you breathe. And, and they encourage them and they help them all the way through, walking right next to them. And when the kid can't do it, they hold them up. That's the God that I'm trying to introduce you to today if you don't know. Not a God waiting at the finish line saying, come see me and I'll make it worth your while. A God who's saying, I'm here. I'm helping you. I, and when you don't have the strength, I've got the strength. I'll hold you up. I'm not going to let you drown. Brothers and sisters, you may not always feel it, but he's walking right beside you. And I pray that if you're here this morning and you're in a tough spot, that that really hits home. If you find yourself there one day, Remember that story of Elisha and his servant praying and say, God, I can't see it, show me. God, I can't feel you, show me. Let me feel you, let me know that you're close by. And just like Bob with me in the building that night, I pray that knowing that he's there makes it worth it, makes all the difference because you know that you're not walking through these times alone. This morning I'm going to invite you to stand and we're all going to have a time of response and this morning we're going to do uh, what we've done recently one time. Uh, I know some of you may be going through a difficult time and you may want somebody to pray with you, somebody to pray for you. I've got some people that are they're moving. They're going to be at the front and back of each of these aisles. I'll be over here. If you'd like somebody to pray with you, go and pray with them. You may have something specific. I want you to pray about this. They'll pray about that. But you may not. You may just walk up and say, just pray, and they'll pray. You want to pray with them, you pray with them. You want them to pray for you, they'll pray for you. Brothers and sisters, maybe you just need to pray where you are on your own. You just need to spend some time with God. Maybe there's something else God's calling you to do. It's be a great time to do that, to commit to do whatever God's telling you to do. Amanda's going to sing a song. I'm thankful that she was willing to sing this song. I, I mentioned it just late in the week. Man. I think this song will be so perfect for the response time from the sermon this week. It's a, it's a song that reminds us that Jesus is the suffering servant who suffered and died in our place so that, so that we could be delivered from hurt and pain and evil and all those things. So, so as she sings, listen to the words of the song, pray and spend time with the Lord, or do whatever else, ever else it is that the Lord's calling you to in this time of invitation. Mm-hmm.